learn how to build a better sign and print shop from a few crusty sign guys who've made more mistakes than they care to admit. Conversations and advice on pricing, sales, marketing, workflow, growth, and more. You're listening to the Better Sign Shop Podcast with your hosts, Peter Kurunis, Michael Riley, and Bryant Gillespie. jump into the episode, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, GCI Digital Imaging, grand format printer to the trade. We talk a lot about outsourcing on the podcast and the importance of having good partners. And GCI Digital Imaging is a good partner to have. Owner TJ Bedact and his team focus on providing killer customer service, just the way grandmother used to make it. If you're interested in learning their approach to business, Hop back into the archives to episode nine, where the guys and I interview TJ about customer experience. So if you're looking for a high quality trade printer for banners, wraps, and other printed graphics that your customers throw at you, check out GCI Digital Imaging at printgci.com. Welcome back to the next edition of the Better Side Shop podcast. Uh, this one is a special episode. We have Jeff, the Viking Shermanator, back for <laughs> round two. Uh, it is late in the evening for us on the East Coast. Um, probably the latest podcast we've ever recorded. So no holds barred here. <laughs> All bets are off. Are you ready to rumble? <laughs> How was that? Was that a good intro or no? 8.15 p.m., man. <laughs> These are old. <laughs> My kids are probably at the door right outside right now. Like, what is Pop talking about? Anyway, as always, Michael, the sign design samurai. Hello, everybody. Oh, what else do we have? Wait, 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 wait. I've got some names. What do we have? Uh... Carrie sent us some names. Did I did I run through these with you? Mm -mm, no, I don't think you okay. did. All right. Oh, that's yeah, a, yeah, she did. She did. That's a good way to start these. I like these. All names. right. Let's, let's introduce them to them. Let's go. All right. All right. All right. I, I don't think I sent these to you, Mike. This is news all to right. me. And I'm, okay. All right. So <laughs> the anticipation is killing me. I, I'm, I'm going to do each one of these and then we could get like a crowd reaction. Number one. Mike the Sign Swami. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. All right. I like the alliteration. Magic Mike. Maybe we could add like Magic Sign Mike in there. <laughs> no, I, I'm down with Magic Mike, actually. That. Name elsewhere. Did, did, so it, did anybody that. else just get a mental picture of Mike in a in a string bikini or g string or something? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Oh god. Red a right. red backwards baseball cap, shirtless, okay. Okay. with a rag in his back pocket. Yeah. Oh boy. Absolutely. Right. Number three. Are we are we ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. Hopefully my kids aren't listening in. All right, number three, the Art Adonis. <laughs> you said this is coming Pass. from Terry. Somebody's got a crush going, don't they? 
<laughs> Have I met this Carrie? is coming from this is Carrie brought oh you weren't on that episode were you darn no I missed that uh, was, that was just Peter and I uh, all right the I, I, I can't even hardly say this one <laughs> Mike the design dragon and then and then in parentheses she had he's on fire <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I need to wins. meet this person. That, that for one, sure. This is Carrie Brock, the last episode that just aired. Carrie, she's, you're she, amazing. She, <laughs> she's famous. All right, uh, and the last one is the Corel King, which mm. has some has some truth to it. It's got a ring to it, but I, I'm still I'm fond how, of Magic Mike. How about we just do yeah. this? Right, let's just wrap this up. Magic Mike, the Corel King. What? There it is. Put, I'll take it. Boom! Put them together. Yes. Magic Mike the Corel King. I mean, Peter for the win. That is the name. There you go. As much as I like the sign Shawami, that was the sign Swami. Whatever the heck that was. <laughs> that one's, that one's hard to say. That one's hard to say. So, what are we doing on this episode, guys? Do Do we have any idea? We've got like I've got like five questions here, but. Jeff, why don't you like bring us up to speed on the latest on you? It's been <sighs> when did we do the last podcast episode? It feels uh, like forever ago. November, October, November, somewhere around there. It was right. It wasn't long after I got laid off, so it was October. I want to say late October. So yeah, uh, I landed a gig with uh, Sunset Signs in Anaheim, another smaller shop about the same size and staff and what have you, but uh, we're pushing probably about six mil, six, seven mil in revenue right now, a year. They just recently started doing electrical signs within the last five years. So there's this big push. They went from being like a small sticker and banner company to being a, a you know full-fledged architectural sign shop. So there's a whole bunch of growing pains going on with that. And I am their first and only project manager as I sit here right now. Uh, one of the reasons they brought me in was because of my background in building teams and departments and stuff. So I'm actually, uh, I have my first new hire starting on Monday. And theoretically, I could have another hire start as early as Friday of this week. I'm uh, building that department already. When I got hired on, the thought was I'd be doing this in like August or September, but uh, they had the biggest quarter they've had since I came on board, and so they're, I think they're realizing that the days of having their their sales reps double as project managers are numbered, and uh, and we're transitioning that's, full-fledged over that, to the other model. That's some insane revenue to not have any project uh, managers at all. Right, I can't I even was imagine right that. there with you. I was right there with you, Mike. Like, I'm getting myself $6 million. <laughs> He's yeah. their project manager. They were a vinyl shop five years ago and they yep. migrated electrical signs. I got so many questions. Let me know when I, can. yeah, I mean, so I will say, I mean, having only been there since January, I can give you what I can give you. You guys, you, you, you might want to reach, I can put you in contact with, with the GM, Eric, uh, and get some more background. If you guys want to, if you see a potential there as an interesting story, it definitely seems like it's got some meat to it. Yeah. Well, you we've got a lot of listeners that would like to make that jump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, he's not here tonight and I want to talk to you. 
I want to. I have questions. Sure. For I, you I'm, yeah, I can. Regarding, I can. regarding a bunch of things. So sure. Uh, I'm gonna kick us. I'm kick us off with a, with the question that's been on my mind ever since this guest was on our on our show, and I'm and I'm gonna this guest the, love it. What would you like Sorry. me to call him? This the Viking. The Viking. <laughs> no, the Viking. come on. All right. I'm, no, you're no, making, no, no, you're no, making no, me no, your no, great no, no, share no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. You're not. You, you, you can't speak for me. I was speak, yeah. referring to another guest. Ah, uh, cool. Oh, 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 oh. I've had oh, this on oh, my oh. mind. I've had this okay. on my mind ever since we had a guest on who explained oh, okay. that she has a full time trainer on her staff. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, Jeff, yeah. you are, you're you're an astute individual that's built teams before. I would mm. love to hear your opinion on this because this was groundbreaking for me. Mm. What are your thoughts around hiring an individual whose core responsibility is to bring out every ounce of best practices and policies for each department and train and build people up and that's the person that's on set there's no it's not there not there's no customer interaction right mm -hmm. it their job is to make sure that designers know how to design production guys know how to produce installers know how to install they know how to communicate with one another and they continue to bring people in that are completely green in this industry no experience mm -hmm. and input and input them into a business that does I don't know. I don't remember exactly what you said, but let's just say north of ten million. Sure. What are your What is your thought on? Well, that? number one, I'd say that's probably a good reason they're doing north of ten mil. The and I think we, you know, we talked a little bit about that. Actually, we talked a lot about it the last time I was on about you know turnover and and how to keep and 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 maintain employees and staff. You know, devoting somebody to that solely is something that could counteract that i absolutely am i'm on board with the idea have you ever seen that before have you ever seen that in shop not not in, not in the college? sign industry i mean i i know you're you're kind of i mean you're, you're kind of dipping into areas of what i would say you know a lot of your consultants tend to be where they'll they'll dip in and do it you know that's their focus but again it's in it's in little segments. One, one of the one of the things that 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 poses an issue, and I have seen this and experienced it firsthand in going the consultant approach, is, or as opposed to going to the consultant approach, I should say, is that okay? So you 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 unearth these things in your investigation, your conversations with your trainees, and when you're you're talking about building departments and processes and and, and making them better. A lot of that 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 can be exhausting for the leadership uh, of the company to try to keep the momentum going and keep their support in that and back it and and you know it's one thing to say you want change and you want to improve but it's another thing to constantly be approached with new ideas and new things that you have to digest and try to change. I think the consultants have the advantage of being able to put that into like more digestible chunks so that it, it's, it's a little more easy to maintain, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, than, than, than it being approached with it all the time. I could see having somebody full time on your staff being 
a benefit and a bit of a drain to that emotional energy and the, and and what have you that people put into their businesses being owners or or even managers you know having to work with that it could be i could see that as being a a double edged sword from that perspective but but as far as like keeping your staff the 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 new staff and building a team i mean trying to recruit into this industry has always been a nightmare you know yeah we don't there's no real there's no real career path into the sign industry that I've ever really been able to identify. I mean, you know, even in Southern California, there's there's one trade school out here I'm aware of that even touches on signage as part of its curriculum, right? So where where do you end up getting people? You either end up poaching from, from other companies or you get people that got let go from somewhere else. And let's face it, they got let go for a reason, probably. So yeah, what are your options? Really, you want to build a good team? Yeah, you need somebody who's going to train them, and that takes time. I mean, I was telling Bryant before you came on, I've I've got people that are going to be coming in to my department in the next week, and my time available to do actual work on my projects is going to be massively impacted by that for, you know, several weeks at bare minimum. You know, and that's unfortunately going to mean to a certain extent either taking away time from my projects and devoting it to those people or pulling the old favorite of chuck them into the wolves and see how they fare <laughs> and you know at, at the potential expense of those hires and 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 the other projects and jobs that they're going to be touching later on too so you know pick where you're going to devote your time oh, good. Yeah, good points. Good points. All right, so let's mm-hmm. let's kind of pivot in a different direction. Okay, going way back to what you said earlier about going from a vinyl shop to a shop that's now you know getting into electrical signs. I have a client, uh, one of my many clients that are, are going through a very similar path right now. I would say they mm-hmm. are a, mostly a vinyl shop, and they are looking to dabble in, get into this market because they want to swim in that swim in that pond they want to basically be like every other sign mm-hmm. company that is in their market i'm going into it completely green so as they mm-hmm. sign yoga mm-hmm. there you as, go uh, as their sign coach he's I'm, flaunting the know, nickname on uh, lording it over through, you mike <laughs> yeah walking them through that i mean what would you say I mean, we can we could talk off for hours on this, but what would you say is the path to doing that? What would you say is the is the is the road the, the yellow brick road, if you will, of going from mm-hmm. vinyl printing and plotting, laminating, you know, weeding, masking that in that environment to man, I'm sh- I'm going to get into like dimensional signage. I'm going to get into channel letters. I'm going to get into fab light fab, and then eventually get into fab. What would you say? To an owner who's contemplating that path, how would you? Uh, go ahead. Sorry, what did you say? And I, and I, I was just gonna say this doesn't necessarily—it's sure. not a question necessarily directed at you, but if anybody else has an opinion, I, I'd I'd love to hear it as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll 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 kick it off. I mean, for me, it's it's, and it's with pretty much any kind of like change in business process, you know, I. I, I'd look for, I'd look to the ex, I'd look to the experts. I'd, I'd look to the network that you've got, whatever it might be, whether it's, 
I'll, I'll plug you guys if whether it's this podcast, whether Ooh. it's the for whether it's the forums that you've got online where you're actually starting to build some sort of community where people are interacting. Start asking questions there of other experts and and people that have been through this and get some knowledge. And you can you can hire somebody who knows how to how to build signs. Okay, great. That's one aspect of it. But then you've got to have somebody who can design them too. And designing for electrical signs is quite a bit more complex than it is di- designing for for stickers and and banners and and digital print and that sort of stuff. Not trying to diminish that industry by any stretch of the imagination. You guys had TJ on. He's built a huge business out of that, serving that market. It's it, you know it, it it's a large portion of where things are, but designing a dimensional fabricated sign that requires certain fasteners has to satisfy wind loads has to pass through building and engineering and all these sorts of things to, you know before you can even put it on the building is a whole other ball of wax than than designing flat media you know mike can attest he reached out to me with something he was working on and uh, you know just for some non-lit channels i think they were and you know we, we were talking a little bit about how how to how, how to attach lettering to a glass curtain building you know in the state of california the requirements out here are a little bit different than they are up in in uh, oregon you know we've got seismic considerations down here that he doesn't have in his code up there I mean, you could spend your entire life just trying to read and and learn that stuff on your own, but you're never going to get the business off the ground if if you take that approach with it. So, I mean, I guess if I were to to map a a path for you, I think you need to find yourself, I think order of operations, I think you need to find yourself a fabricator or not, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. Find yourself a designer first. Because that's a harder portion to 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 outsource. No offense, meant Mike. <laughs> um, that's a that's a that's a harder portion to outsource. Starting off, I'm trying to res- I'm trying to save Mike from some some more head- headache conversations too with shops that you know are trying to sell into this market without the knowledge. You know, trying to design into that is very very difficult. But there there are a lot more wholesale fabricators out in the market than there are wholesale designers knowledgeable ones so find yourself a designer whether that means you've got to poach somebody from somewhere else or whatever but get yourself a, a sign designer who you know understands how to put technical drawings together but you know you could keep your design team you're working with for the pretty pictures but you need a technical artist you know uh, either a design engineer or whatever you want to call them that can work on that send those off to start off sending those off to to other fabricators get some feedback from those other shops as you as you start sourcing that stuff and then eventually you can start looking into next step would be to bring in a fabricator so you're and, talking bringing people first mm-hmm. bringing people first designer bring in uh some sort of fabricator but you're not really bringing in any equipment yet I, I would. Uh, I wouldn't just. I'm well. I mean, I, I guess there's an assumption of something that would be needed at, at that point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, right around the time you're talking about a fabricator, you'd need a CNC. That that's your that's your. Okay, so that's where you that's where you would start, right? Yeah, you'd start there. So someone getting into fabrication, even in a small sense, mm-hmm. you need you, you're essentially needing the two people that can are capable of designing 
I would necessarily say mid to high grade types of signage. Mm -hmm. uh, then you need uh, a person that is capable of using their manos here, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. using their hands and getting mm -hmm. that and getting some, taking something from paper and bringing it to life, right? And, and mm -hmm. this is, this is, we're, we're aligned there. We're aligned there. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is, I learned this. I did not learn this my first few years in fabricating. I, I, can, I, I was able to step away from the business for a while, look back into the business and say, okay, that is a key crack in the system where I'd like to fix. So that is the fabricator's input into how something should be made, making mm -hmm. suggestions to the designer. Mm -hmm. it, so for years, for years, my designer whether it was someone I hired, myself, my business partner, whoever, we were all designers, would design for fabrication, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, the fabricator would then have a different opinion on how this could be made based off of, like you mentioned, wind load, you, you, you know, weight capacity, you know, things that designers are not really going to think about unless they are Mike, okay? Right. Unless yeah. they are, you know... <laughs> Uh, the Corel, what do we call him again? The Corel Guru? Magic Corel, Mike, the Corel King. The Corel King. Okay, mm -hmm. unless you're the Corel King over here. Mm -hmm. uh, most designers, even even seasoned designers, are not aware of those laws and regulations and things of that nature. So sure, a, a potential crack here would be, here's how we're going to make it. It's being made, and it's actually being made wrong. Right, mm -hmm. and it's because it's one directional information. So, so an area that I've been coaching on is really kind of making that a bi bi directional two way communication. Let the designer go to the fabricator and say, "Okay, this is what we got to make. Can we have like a brainstorm session? Mm -hmm. How would we make this?" All right. Mm -hmm. As we all know, probably more than a half a dozen ways to make any type of sign. Okay, mm -hmm. any type of sign. So getting that input and saying, yeah, there's actually a more, maybe this way has more material. Maybe this way is less material, but more labor. What one, which one makes financial sense for us to go down that path? That's an actually, so I would, I love what you said that you got to bring people in, but those two people have to talk. Those two mm -hmm. people have to communicate in the design process. Um, and then there's a level of, okay, well, this is what we discussed. This is what we agreed to. This is how it's going to be made. Who's making sure it's getting made that way, right? Yep. And that can come. That's that shouldn't come from the designer. That should come from maybe the owner or a department manager of some sort. Maybe someone like yourself, Jeff. Like this is going to be agreed yeah. on. Project yeah. manager. You, could, you, you, you've got me thinking further up the chain too. You know, I'm thinking more the build it yourself model. There, you know, there's a, there's another very viable option obviously, you know, it's the chicken and egg thing. Do you start selling first and then figure out how to fulfill or do you build yourself up the capability so that you can, you're not selling out of an empty bucket, right? You know, maybe, maybe a project manager and or, and or a knowledgeable salesperson who can for a time, a time period serve as, you know, a that account role. manager, a dual yep. role is your, is your first player to coordinate things, you know, and, you know, it, it, with the design team, you know, it, there's always that 
there's always that back and forth, you know, and I think we talked about this or maybe Mike talked about it on one of the other podcasts The the, um, you know, design for install is a, is a big thing too. It's not just gotta be fabricated. It's something that's gotta be put up on a building or freestanding at some point too. You know, that's something that's almost always left out of the equation. So, you know, it also has to be serviced and, you know, over time as well, which yeah. is something that a lot of people forget about. So, I mean, and, and going to my, my current practices right now, just as a benchmark for that, I mean, that's the whole point behind a, a kickoff meeting in my mind. You know, we, we get those, those teams together. We get the, 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 the stakeholders, we get somebody from production, we get somebody from install, we get the designer together and we talk about that project and, you know, everybody gets their opportunity before we even start putting you know, mouse to mouse pad, for lack of a better way of putting it, for those initial designs, you know, everybody gets their opportunity to say, hey, well, you know, you need to consider this, you need to consider this, hey, but okay, now, you know, install suggests something, and then the fabricator goes, well, you know, I can't do that because of this, and then you you end up, you know, working your way into a into a design that, that that's buildable and, and, and installable by the team of individuals that you have. Because like you said, there's, you know, there's a dozen different ways to build anything. And one of the things that factors into why you choose those is not necessarily always cost. It's these are my capabilities, right? Like like the the company that I worked for for almost 20 years had different fab practices and capabilities than the company I'm working for now. You know, I, I'm being told by my production team we don't build channel letters with less than a one inch stroke on them because of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I know from my experience prior that there are ways of doing, you know, three quarter and half inch stroke channels. It's just, you know, knowing how that process works and, you know, and I'm looking at some process change there to kind of help them develop those, those abilities and, and those ways of doing things. But Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe the, the, the initial goal is I want to sell a sign to a client. I'm going to sell them something I can build. And so you need to have that team to to make those, you know, to your point, to make those decisions for the company and, and kind of help mold what your what your practices and processes are. Yeah. yeah I, want to, I, mean, I want to throw out like an alternate. Um, yes, please. Thought here. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like this talk of equipment and fabric, like, dude, I'm starting to sweat. I'm like, uh, don't, no. Yeah. Like this well, is like a, it's like a serious commitment. Like you've got, like, this is what you, you're absolutely hundred percent sure you want to do. It, it is a serious commitment, but I, I think a lot of people fail to take into consideration how important the installation component of these types of jobs is. Mm-hmm. And everybody thinks about how am I going to sell this monument sign? How am I going to get this monument sign built? without really thinking about how you're going to get the damn thing in the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. And as, as Jeff, as you said, I mean, they're good quality wholesale fabricators are a dime a dozen at this point. There are a lot of companies that you can outsource the fabrication component to finding a good quality installer. Who's going to show up on time with a professional looking crew, do a good job and not steal your customer and not charge you through the nose for that installation is really, really difficult. If not, nearly impossible in some markets well can i comment on that for a second because you said something you said something in that that i think is interesting and i think anybody who's looking at going into this maybe needs to set that aside for a moment and that was and not charge you through the nose 
Um, <laughs> you, you, you know, growth costs money, number one, and you, it, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be an expense to do it. And I would say, don't shortcut it and try to go with the cheapest guy because you're going to get the cheapest guy and you're going to have those situations where they're going to steal clients from you. You're going to look bad. You may pay a little bit more and that may limit your sales potential. It may slow down your sales growth in that market segment, but that's probably a good thing in the long term because you're going to learn more. You're going to get better valuable feedback. You know, when I when I was talking about the outsource component before with the designer and your and your fabricators, you know, one of the reasons I see that approach working is if you're working with a vendor who is going to give you feedback on your designs or who has. Maybe you find a vendor that you can send the pretty picture layout to your concept, and then they give you the actual technical drawings back to approve and review. Sure, it might cost you a little more money, but then you're going to school at that point, right? That's mm-hmm. your that's your sign industry 101 training, and and you're you that's the value add and the extra money that you're you're paying to that vendor. Sorry, I yeah, I, totally. I, I cut you off there. No, I no, apologize no. for that. No, but. no, no, no. I, you're you're totally right, and I, and. Then, and I think that's an important point that you made because in this industry, I mean, we're always trying to, you know, we're always trying to earn the sale and everybody's afraid of, you're, you're always balancing costs versus what you're selling it for, what you're, mm-hmm. what you're you know, what you're going to profit on the job. So it, it's, it's, it's very tempting to take the low ball chuck in a truck bid for this channel letter installation because you make a little, you know, you make a few more points on it than if you go with the high end sign company, who's charging you twice as much, even though they're going to do it right to show up on time. I, I'm always wary about people that put all their eggs into the fabrication basket and none into the installation basket yeah. because it's such a huge component. I mean, it's it's half of the sign is the installation, right? It's not just a it's not something you do at the end. It's 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 a huge part of the, the entire project, if not the majority of it in some cases. Mm. So I I think that shops should really put a lot of emphasis on learning how to install signs themselves and, and hire a good qualified installer, pick up a good used bucket truck. That's not going to strand you on the highway and a, a good installer with a lot of experience in the sign industry is going to be a great resource for your designer internally as well, as far as how to fabricate, what to, what to think about and consider, you know, from an installation standpoint and all that can then be collaborated with the, you know, the third party wholesale fabricator, but, you know, having your, your installer game, working like clockwork i think is is a huge hurdle to overcome that a lot of shops don't consider when they when they want to dip their toe into this end of the mm-hmm. pool and and then they're caught with their pants down you know when push comes to shove because they they don't have a good installer they can lean on and you know the install can make or break any <clears throat> job so I, I think it's is, important yeah. that they put some you know some focus on that it's kind of like a lot of the the clients that we sell to right like hey we're uh, putting in a new restaurant downtown and then like uh, the like the sign is like the, like oh hell we're opening it in two months we don't have a sign like right. what are we gonna do <laughs> like, <laughs> we're, we're we're always the last people anybody ever remembers that yeah right yeah exactly but you know when you when you start out doing like fabricated signs and electrical signs i mean chances are pretty good you're going to do basic rectangular cabinet signs, maybe wall mounted, maybe with a basic pull skirt, you're going to do some channel letter signs, either remote mounted or raceway mounted, basic mm-hmm. stuff, right? It doesn't require a whole lot of technical know-how from a sales or design standpoint. It requires some, but not a ton. 
but the installation side of those, I mean, even a basic raceway mounted set of channel letters can can absolutely ruin your day <laughs> if there's a beam behind that wall that you didn't yep. think about, didn't know that was there yep. when you go to install it. So there's a lot to think about. You know, initially doing those types of signs, they're really easy to outsource to a you know a wholesaler without a whole lot of headache. And, and as Jeff said, any good wholesaler is going to going to work with you and give you feedback. A lot of them do give you know will we'll give you the shop drawings you need and you put together permit drawings. A lot of my clients have vendors that do that for them, no charge, just as part of the job. So it kind of kind of bridges that gap. And yeah, like Jeff said, use those and learn from them, study those drawings and and understand exactly what you're you know what goes into making these signs and how they're installed. But but yeah, don't don't discount the installation side of things because that's it's so critical and and that's where i've seen so many shops really stumble and fall because they didn't expect installation to be a that big of the project and be that that complex and difficult to manage you know using just you know vendors and not doing it in house you know you know how many times in my career i got into arguments with my business partner over a difference of opinion of how long the job should take <laughs> to install how often there was one time I threw an orange at him and, hit, and missed and hit and splattered on the wall in the background. Uh, no, the, you bring up a really good point. And, and I know we want to get to the mail, the mailbox here, the mailbox here, but the, it is important to design with installation in mind for, for many reasons. But the one that really just stands out to me is, Communicate with your team so that they know exactly what they're going to be, what they're going to see on the, on the job site. Right. Like uh, to say it simply, like you can easily design the way a sign should be installed to save hours out in the field. And I've been victim of just looking at a project saying, yeah, these letters should be, this should take four hours to put up on the wall. And then it ends up being a two day job because you didn't know what was behind the wall or there may not even be anything behind the wall. I remember there was one time I had to lay plywood pine, like one, like three quarter inch pine behind and, you know, basically two inches of foam. There was nothing else there. So there, you know, survey, design, communicate with your team, make sure that your installers know what they're walking into because they're going to look at you and say, I'm going to go work for another company that knows what the hell that they're doing because so, this company does not. Yeah, there's no better way and faster way to lose an installer than sending them out on a job site blind, not knowing what they're getting into. I mean, that's well, that's, installers don't appreciate that. Don't do that to them. Well, and, and as you're as you're saying that, and and Pete, you know, it it, it makes me so it, it makes me question the order of operations again because you know you, you let's say you get yourself a designer who knows what they're doing. Let's say you get yourself a fabricator who knows what they're doing. You get yourself a a uh, uh, an installer knows what they're doing. Nothing f frustrates an ops team more than garbage information being chucked into the system by somebody who doesn't know their butt from a hole in the wall. For Shitty a, survey. You know. Yeah, yeah or no, or no survey. Oh, okay, yeah, you know, we're gonna do this wall sign, and here's your Google Earth photo. <laughs> you know, um, that you know that that kind of stuff. You know. You could lose a team really quick if you've got garbage inputs coming in there. Now, wait a second. Hold you know, on. You'll, Hold you'll, on. You'll, you'll burn through vendors. You'll burn through designers. You'll burn through fabricators. Are, Jeff, are you saying that yeah. we should not be doing surveys based off of Google Street View? 
<laughs> oh dear God, no. Yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, you you talked you talk about you talk about a uh, an install going sideways. You said a you know a channel letter set we think is going to go quick. You think it's going to take four hours. I flashed you a job where we sent guys out. This is probably god 10 or 15 years ago we sent guys out with a set of channel letters for mm -hmm. an eyebrow level sign you know right right between first floor and second floor on a on a high-rise office building thinking that they were going to be in and out and they start drilling and they keep drilling and they keep drilling turned out that the the, the bottom floor the the concrete on that level was 18 inches thick <laughs> and you know nobody had been out and checked and oh, you know uh, done anything done any due diligence it was all done off of you know a photograph from the parking lot driving by at 45 miles oh, an hour and you know all that kind of crap right oh, you mean you mean to tell so, me that you've never been a part of a of a story where the google street view is how the building looked maybe four months ago and then uh, when you <laughs> actually hey uh, uh had one uh Three weeks ago, we I found out we had done a submittal on a project that I am managing right now. Now, I will admit the project started before I came on board, so I inherited this. But we our initial submittals showed uh, a wall sign. And so we're doing a monument, and the initial submittals, the rendering showing the monument in front of the building, used a Google Street View image. And that wall sign was taken down two years ago. And the only reason I know this is because the city came back to us and said, uh -huh. you need to put on your plans the distance between the monument sign and the wall sign. And so I went mm. to the job site to go survey it. And sure enough, hey, there no there's no wall sign there. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, listen, so, yeah. I, there are there are a lot of people that use Google Street View. But the, mm -hmm. the point is, is get your ass off the chair, get your ass outside in your car. And start taking some measurements. Start getting mm -hmm. into the nicks and nicks and crannies of what we do. Nooks, but so that yeah, yeah, nooks and crannies, nicks and crannies, nooks and no, nooks. Shut nooks. Up. Yes, it, <laughs> Shut it, up. It's, it's nooks. <laughs> Whatever. Well, you, you're 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 right though. It's it's the you know the the uh, you talk about the learning curve and the bumps and the things you need to be aware of. Again, going you know from the the vinyl shop to that. You can put vinyl over a lot of things with little issues. Your site conditions don't impact you nearly as badly with a vinyl yeah. install. There's a lot. It's such a forgiving thing. Aluminum and acrylic are not. <laughs> Steel is not. You know, it, it, it only bends or flexes so much. You you need to know your measurements have got to be much more accurate. There's, you know, you don't have bleed that you can trim away on a monument so, sign or a set of channel letters. <laughs> so let's sum this up. Let's sum this up. It reminds this, me this of one of the here. threads that I saw on the sign forum the other day. It was like, how do I, I, I can't get the right angle that I need on Google street view. How can I get a measurement on this? And somebody was yeah. like, get in your truck and take a fucking tape measure. Like, yeah, it's not hard. All right. So <laughs> let's sum this up. If you're a shop, if you're a shop, small shop, four guys, five guys, whatever you want to call yourself, and you're a vinyl shop and you're getting into fabrication, there are steps to do that. It starts with people, right? Mm -hmm. Keep it, it. You're going to have mm -hmm. a need to have what you called uh, what, what, what rally meetings or uh, what, 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 what did you call them? Kickoff meetings, Kick, something. 
kickoff kick, kickoff meetings KOMs, kickoff yeah. meetings you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna need some kickoff meetings because communication is key you're gonna need to design for fabrication you're gonna need to design for installation but ultimately this all comes down to it's not just getting into fabrication for the higher ticketed items there's a world of processes a world of best practices a world of in- intricacies that you're going to get involved in but there is a path to it there is a path to taking a vinyl shop to a fab shop. And if you're interested, get yourself a consultant, get yourself a coach, ask some forums, ask some people uh, in the Facebook group, in the in our Better Sign Shop group. Uh, there's a plug. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think that, that that was really good advice. And, and there are a lot of those shops out there. In fact, we've had a, uh, two of our last few guests. Now, this was, they made that change years ago, 10, 15 years ago, but that decision comes for every sign shop owner at some point or another, that decision comes Mm -hmm. there. uh, I had asked, um, I think it was Carrie. I asked when I said, you know, like, do you ever regret it? Because there's more margins, there's more profit in vinyl. I have a client that does, you know, $6 million in vinyl alone, $2 million Mm -hmm. in vinyl alone. Those Mm -hmm. are great margins, less head. There you go, Brian, less headache. Right. Do you ever wish that you could just go back to simple things? And, you know, as much as life is simple, when you get into fab, the reason why you get into fab is because you hold the control. Right. You now the more things that you can produce in your own house, the better. Right. Now you have now you can provide more solutions to your customers with confidence. Uh, You can be known for different things and get into different verticals. And that's the reason why most people would say, no, I would, I, I think I would stay exactly where I am now. It was just a path of growth taking me from here. Things were easier, but now we're more uh, involved in every aspect of the industry. I was, I was going to say, I would ask any one of these owners if they're having these thoughts. Number one, what, why do you think you want to do it? And number two, I think, and more importantly, being in the sign industry, since we're such a broad category, what what kind of thing do you really ultimately want to get into? Do you want to be, are you just looking to serve the existing customers you have a little more of their business? Do you want to be that shop that can say, yeah, we can do a monument sign for you? Or are you looking to be you know, somebody who does, you know, these huge high end projects, what's, what's your end goal? What's your end goal? You know, don't just just get into it to get into it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Assume, assuming, assuming one of those two points are valid, right? You don't just get Mm -hmm. into fabrication just because it's a monumental Mm -hmm. expense. It's a, there's a lot more liability. Mm -hmm. All of your overhead is going up. Your insurance goes up. Your, Workers' comp insurance goes up. I mean, there's a ton of things to consider on the business side of things when you're making this decision as well. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget about that. Yeah, yeah. Your your the amount of square footage demands goes up. Everything. Yeah, your your shop space becomes more precious. All that kind of fun stuff. Awesome. Why don't you, uh, <laughs> hey Brian? Why don't you kick us off in the right direction and open up that mailbox? Let's answer these. Oh, these are we getting into the mailbox? Yeah, I like it. All right, so. I love this. Hey, Brian, long time listener. I feel like I need to do like Casey Kasem here or something. Long time hey. listener. First time caller. <laughs> the long distance dedication here. How about an episode on safety protocols and procedures? 
do we want do we want to do a whole episode? I don't know. Maybe uh, we had an incident and learned a lot when lawyers are involved. I'm not sure you could ever know enough. Do you have any sage advice for our first time caller? <laughs> yeah. Mr. So uh, I was the safety officer at our former in my former life. So I mean, I guess you know. First things first, every company needs an injury, illness, and prevention plan. That's that's first and foremost, basic safety 101 stuff that you any any uh, any insurance underwriter is going to want to see for your going back to your comment, Pete. Uh, workers comp. If if you can show them you've got an IPP, guess what? Your workers comp insurance rates are going to go down. So know that anything that you put in uh, to safety is going to uh, cost you something, but it will have some potential savings to you in the long run as well. I guess the big thing, and you can go to any kind of seminars, there's all sorts of uh, things that happen out there uh, on the reg. Although I guess since COVID, I don't know how, how frequent they are. They may have all gone online, but uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's training seminars on how to engage safety programs for your, for your staff. The big thing is making sure that people participate and feel engaged by it because the best program in the world that you write up and with all the good intentions of things that you want people to do as best practices in your office and your shop. If uh, the guys on the shop floor don't care if they think it's a joke, then they're not going to do it. And uh, you've just wasted your time drafting a document that's going nowhere. So yeah, get people involved. Uh, you know, do, do when you've got an event, Use it as a learning opportunity. Talk to the team about what happened. Figure out ways. You know, that they'll they'll know why Absolutely. that thing happened, and and they'll know what corner they cut or what thing didn't happen. And somebody's going to point it out, and mm -hmm. the team will talk about it. Let you know. Let your staff drive that as much as possible because they're the ones turning the wrench. They're the ones with the the blades in their hands. They're the ones doing this. They they know what's going to work and what's not. And, and, you know, keep them engaged in that process. You know, they, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you a different perspective. I'll give you a different perspective. You're absolutely right. I love having a plan in place that will save you money on your workers' comp policy, like you said. But some of that information, if you don't want to go that far, that's okay. That's okay to our listeners out there that are thinking like, oh, shit, I don't mm -hmm. have one of those. Like, don't re relax. It's okay. But one thing that you did say, I want to I emphasize a little bit. When something does happen, talk about it, discuss it, put it in your employee handbook, if anywhere, put it in your employee handbook, how like this is not to be done like this ever again. I had an incident. I'll give you two instances, very quick stories. I had a female, I had a female uh, vinyl production employee, very lovely lady named Lisa. And she essentially just dropped an exacto knife on her foot. You know, these things roll off the table very easily and just dropped and in, stabbed her in the foot. You know, urgent care, bandages. She was out the next day. So what do you learn from that? Well, we're no longer allowing open-toed shoes in our final production area. Okay, you want to be in the office? That's fine. But if you're in the back room... And you're wearing sandals or thought, uh, I don't know, mm -hmm. whatever the heck the, these things, thongs. Okay. You're, you're, uh, 
you're going to get hurt. So that like that immediately went into my, uh, my handbook. Like this is, if you're, if you're going to be in this area, this is what you're going to do. So that's a discussion. And then I make everybody sign off on the new policy and it goes in their little file and you're okay. There's a, there's something written, there's something agreed upon and that's to prevent it from happening again. But then there, there are times that you cannot prevent damage. Like it's, it's around you, especially if you're in the world of install, it's around you everywhere. Gentleman named Mike used to work for me. Uh, he lived in my hometown, uh, know him very well and very simple three dimensional lettering install in a mall. So for those of us that know how to do work in malls, you know, that you, uh, you have to install these projects around mall hours not allowed to do anything during mall hours. So it's before the mall opens or after the mall closes. We chose to do something before the mall opens. So that's a, you know, five, 6 a.m. install. And I sent Mike with another installer to a job. You need, he they, all that was needed was, uh, what do you call them? Uh, a little giant, la- two little giant, two little giant ladders and, you know, some hand tools. Uh, it wasn't really a big job. So the, if I gave you a dollar value, I think the job was probably close to about four grand in total value. Three dimensional letters pin mounted into a wall, like hang a pattern, very little installation work involved. If I could describe a very easy job, this is, this would be it. But the mall just wax the floor. Uh, so they had, you know, they had a video of a guy on a machine waxing the floor, right? We throw our little giant up on the ladder. And it's, uh, for those of us that are just listening to this, I'll describe it. Instead of it, instead of the ladder being positioned as a, as an A, you close the ladder and lean it up. He leaned it up against the wall. We even had somebody holding the bottom of the ladder, preventing it from kicking out. He asked the helper to go grab him another letter. And as soon as he left the ladder, the ladder slid out and he snapped his foot basically right off of his leg. Was no more than two feet off the ground. Was no more than two feet off the ground. This was not a bucket truck or an OSHA incident. This was as the simplest job. Ambulance comes, takes him away. He tells me he's going to be at, they tell him, you know, he's got seven screws in his foot. This becomes a humongous workers comp claim. But because I did everything according to, because this was, these were seasoned guys and, you know, we put, we had a helper there. We had everything set up correctly. There was nothing that we were negligent for. So the business was protected and it ended up just going through the mall's insurance. But there are things that you cannot plan for. Do you think that I woke up that nine, that eight o'clock in the morning phone call? It's still in engraved in my head. Like it's not something that anybody ever wants to wake up to, but things are going to happen. Things are going to happen in your shop, especially if you're in this industry. It's just bound to happen for you. So our, whoever, uh, whoever this person is that, that asked this question, 
for 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 those of you that are concerned about how to prepare yourself for disaster you can't we've we've had several guests on here that have had fires in their shop you can't prepare for that i mean you could try but once that happens to you it's it's just a learning moment it's a teaching moment you know what it's what are you going to take from it and how can you move forward that's a significant whatever it is it's a significant punch in the face punch in the jaw but you have to get up and you got to keep marching forward I know a couple of local business owners that did prepare for that. Like, it like fire burning down their business. Like, actually, <laughs> might have <laughs> prepared a little too well for that uh, with a nice insurance policy before the that's fire. A good, was that's a, that was happened. a good. That was, that was a good first question. <laughs> I enjoyed that question. That was a, that was a little. Pete, I do have down memory lane for I got, me, but that I got was something I got to throw on that though. What's it's the next thing? Going back to the, the the training that I had there and doing IIPPs and what have you, they they always talk about yep. so like there's there's tiers of planning that you can do when you're talking about safety training and to safety programs. And the first thing is the the, the first goal is to eliminate the the uh, the hazard, right? Then after that, it's control the hazard, and then and then after that, it's mitigate. Right. So you're, you're trying to, you know, the, the first option is always, okay. So go to your example about the girl with the, with the exacto blade, you know, landing on her foot. All right. So if you go to tier one, the option is take the exacto blade out of the equation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe that's not an option working with vinyl. Right. Okay. So fine. We can't go that route. So then, then you go the next level in and you go, okay, well, what can we do to, to to because it seems like you know the solution of of uh, the shoes is one portion of it because you're you're reducing the risk of the contact with the blade but what if you back it up and you look at okay you know maybe they can't just be sitting on the table maybe we've got to put some process in place where the blades have to be when they're you know in, in use or when they're on the table they've got to be stored in some sort of holder or something so they can't roll off the table and land on somebody's foot you know, there's, there's, you know, you can look at it from different angles. And, and, and if you take that approach, I, I think that helps kind of get you to more impactful, uh, uh, you know, policies and, and things like that with your staff. So here's the thing. Okay. It's very mm. easy to just go to say what you said, but then you end up being that type of mm. owner. And trust me, I was this type of owner. Where it's like, I told you to put that holder, that knife in its stationary position. And now you're going in sure. the back and these things will annoy the shit out of you. You know, like if you're really going to nickel and dime or really be a very uh, detailed person, maybe that's you. May, uh, may, and I'm, when I say you, maybe that's our listener. Maybe that's the type of owner that they are. That was the type of owner I was, but it was just, it just led to a, a path of, not everybody has the brain power to remember all the sure. things that I would enforce, right? So you're constantly in a state of, of uh, I, I wouldn't say it's aggression, but you're in a state of disappointment constantly when you put a policy, something happens and people just say, oh, that was just rare. And uh, leaving an exacto blade on the table in such a way is normal behavior, sure. but wearing open-toed shoes, that's not. So that was the, e that, that was the easy, that was the easy answer for me is just like, let's prevent the thing that I, that I identified as 
not necessarily the cause mm-hmm. of it, but it was it contributed to the problem. If you had work boots on, mm-hmm. I would not mm-hmm. have lost you for a day, most likely. But I do hear your point. Like, yes, uh, putting in those policies to kind of remove, prevent, and mitigate, like that's a, that's a very good learning point for even me at that point. Yeah. But I just would go back to you and say, like, all right, if it's really something that small, you can end up being a real prick of a boss, like making sure all those little things are being done. <laughs> example probably not the best one but <laughs> yeah I, I i got you yeah you don't you don't want to yeah 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 that that is exactly counter the right to my mindset. comment about trying to you know engage your staff and keep them going and, and engage in a safety program if you put too many rules in front of them that's gonna absolutely shoot that in the foot so no i got you yeah but on the flip side if it was discussed and that was agreed upon as a group mm-hmm. then that's a different story yep. Then it's just a, a, you know, okay, everybody's on board for that. What else you got? All right. All right. Next question. Michael, I'm going to let you pick this one, dude. Do you have the list? You didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz, did you, Mike? I don't. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't have it in front of me either, so don't hit me with yeah. that either. Don't slap me across the face you, with that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's in, the, it's in the Slack. Hang on. Let me find it. Hold on. Slack? I, What's Slack? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's teams only better. Your number one is done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screw teams. God, God, I hated that, man. Every when we were on like COVID, all the kids were like, Oh, Pop, I gotta get on teams for this meeting. And I, like I'm I'm a smart guy. I I deal with software. Like I've worked in software for damn near a decade now. And I could yeah, not that's figure like that anything else. Out. Microsoft, they, they, they take some ideas somebody else had and make it worse. <laughs> there, there you go. There's, there's, there's your next cease and desist, right? <laughs> Either that or our next sponsor. <laughs> Better sign shop podcast bought by Microsoft next week. Shut these guys up. Mike, what do you got? All right. Um, How do you train your staff not to let customers run your business? This is a fast-paced industry for the most part, but I would like to know how to train in that area better. How to train your staff to not let your customers run your business? Man, I don't think I've ever had a customer try to run my business. I welcome the addition. I, I, I get, the, I get the point though. Try. I, you know, when you sent this one to me, Brian, it it it's funny. So. You know, there's a very, one of the things that I'm still adjusting to at, in my new job is there's a, there's a, there's a definite culture shift for me in setting and maintaining a understanding of when we sell a job, we tell a client, this job is going to take X number of weeks from the time that we get permits. Let's say that's the trigger we're going off of, right? And they're very willing as an organization to stick to those guns, you know, 99 times out of 100. My prior employer and and, and the culture at the prior company was very much anytime a customer squeaked, it was, you know, it was a question, you know, you were two feet in the air already, you know, trying to anticipate how quickly they needed something before they even told you how quickly they needed it. 
So it's, it's a big culture shift for me. And that's the running. I think that's what the client's asking is, you know, your customers will run your business for you by setting demands on when they need things, how they want things, those sorts of things. You know, I, I think if, if I'm at least understanding what the, the person's asking, I would say, you know, you, you number one, you've got to be able to have answers for your staff that they're comfortable with and able to back up with a client when they're presented with, you know, those kinds of questions that could otherwise run your business for you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how I'm interpreting that question as well as, you know, a customer's opening a new business and we, we hit on this a little bit earlier, uh, you know, I'm opening my new restaurant and uh, in three weeks I need a channel letter sign and I'm in a historic district. So it's going to require, you know, landmarks review and a variance. Right. But you can pull that off. And this is something we, you know, Brian, we had Dylan Martin on a couple of times as well. And he's talked about this quite a bit as well. And this is something that I learned, you know, from him, but educating your customer up front. And, and like, like you said, Jeff, just establishing realistic expectations goes a long way. And salespeople are you know, terrified to do that. They're terrified to tell customers, no, hey, I'm sorry. I know you need your sign in three weeks. But realistically, that's a, that's a 14 to 16 week turnaround time. Nobody wants to tell the customer that, right? And some somebody out there is going to tell the customer, oh, sure, you need it in three weeks. Yeah, we'll make that happen. And that job is going to go sideways on them, and they're going to lose their ass on it, guaranteed. And then they're going to look like an idiot to the customer. So it's just really important to communicate clearly with the customer what the expectations should be right up front. And, you know, tell your tell your, your staff has to understand that, those expectations are there for a reason. And if you deviate from them, there's going to be hell to pay basically. Right. Like it's, you know, it's, it's not going to go well for anybody. You, you, it's, it has to be this, um, at security, they even went so far as creating like a timeline, almost like a Gantt chart type timeline that, um, was given to the customer as a visual aid. Hey, you know, this is how long, yeah, it was great. It really was helpful because it broke down every stage of the process. This is how long you should expect design to take, you know, five to seven days. You should expect permitting to take two to four weeks. You should take, expect engineering to take one to two weeks and, and, you know, and it, and it had 12, 14 different steps. I mean, they really got into the weeds on on the detail on it. So the customer was really able to see, wow, holy shit. Like what what seems like a really simple sign in my mind that I like, sure, they can just hit print and it's going to pop out a set of channel letters for me. And then they just glue it to my wall. I'm like, sure, we're done. So for them to see that broken out and those steps was really powerful for them, really helpful. And not only did it help establish realistic expectations on timeline, but it also reinforced in them the value of that sign that they're paying for, how much work goes into getting that sign on their wall for them. You know, that time equates to labor and materials and expenses. So it really showed them like, wow, I'm paying these guys a premium and this is, this is all the hoops they're going to jump through for me. I get it. Cool. I'm going to back off a little bit. I was a really, really powerful tool that I, I, I recommend every shop consider, you know, creating, you know, in some way, shape or form for their clients, because it, it really helps just put a lot of those, you know, timeline based objections to, to bed, just, you know, without any opportunity for argument or, you know, pushback at all. Well, what I love that one. Mike. What, what about this too, uh, as an option though, just as t- taking it even a step backwards of that, you know, uh, teach, teach your staff that it's okay to say no. 
and and back them up and back them up if they do. Totally. That's yeah. step one. And, and I think that's even more than teaching them that it's okay to say no, having their back, like you said, backing them up when they say no, I think is even more powerful because that, that sales rep is afraid to lose a sale, partly because they're afraid that they're not going to have money in their own pocket, but also because they don't want to disappoint the boss too. I mean, that's part of it. You don't want to, you, you don't want to lose sales and then have your, your numbers mm -hmm. off. Right. So knowing that, the whole company has your back when you say, listen, your three week turnaround time is just not realistic. This is, this is what's realistic. 14 weeks. That's what we can guarantee. Take it or leave it. You know, knowing that the company's got your back, if you push back on that customer and say, no, I think is, is really powerful. You know, that, that empowering your employees to make those kind of, you know, business minded decisions is, is it's the greatest thing you can do as an owner. Yeah. I, I'm going to like jump in and go like the other direction with this. Like it, it, this is for like the owner operators. Like once you lay down these guidelines, like you've got to step out, like you can't allow the back door because I've seen this happen <laughs> firsthand of like, like, Hey, they, like your team is communicating this, like, no, we can't do it. And then like, you've either got like a connection to that client because like they helped you grow your business. And then they come to you directly and then you are just like you hey, just get yeah. weak in the knees for whatever reason. Yeah. I think that's and part it, of backing them up. I mean, I think that's like half yeah. of the backing them up equation is, is because when you do that, you're kneecapping your employee and you're basically undermining them and you're making them look like an idiot to that customer. And then that doesn't, that doesn't make your employee feel good at all. Yeah. I mean, nothing feels worse than, you, you telling a customer one thing and then the boss overriding you, even though you thought the boss was going to have your back on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really good point, Brian. I totally agree. Take, for sure. take off yeah. the Superman and, and, cape if you're the owner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean that, that this is one of those topics that has to start with the owner and work its way down. I mean, as the owner, you've got to stand by your guns and say, I'm not going to do that to my staff. I'm not going to meet your ridiculous deadline just because I'm, you know, I'm desperate to make a sale. And then just kill my staff for it because I'm I'm not as the owner like I'm not the one that's gonna you know dealing with the shit to get this thing out the door on time you know I might have to deal with the customer if they're pissed off if we're you know a couple of days late but my staff is the one that's got to stay late and work overtime and you know give up weekends and evenings to get this job done because I was afraid to lose a sale like that's shitty so yeah yeah totally I mean yeah the owner has to be the first the first in line to say no but we can do this and then stick to that hundred percent. The shit slides downhill. <laughs> I was just trying to channel like Matthew McConaughey or something. I, yeah, I don't know. I've only had, I haven't even finished this one beer. So oh, I'm almost a solid bottle of wine in at this point. You gotta get, hurry up, man. I, yeah. You just let me get my uh, knife out. I'll just shotgun one. Um, <laughs> Do we want to stop there? You guys want to answer one more, or what are we doing? Let's do one more. Three's Let's do a, one more. Two's, a, two's too even of a number. Yeah, Frank a nice the Tank over one. here, like old school. <laughs> Lila's going to have to rein him in. He's going to be running out in the street. <laughs> going streaking in the quad. All right. Hey, you pick it, Mr. One More. What do you got? So there's a couple of questions on here that I – Two people ask kind of a similar question, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, let me see if I can summarize these. So 
basically two people ask, how do you manage growth um, in terms of what processes need to change? When do you add equipment? It's interesting. It seems to be a really popular topic, and I think we've touched on that a little bit in the past as well. But let's let's circle back and, and kind of beat on it a little bit more. Jeff, yeah. Viking, how do you manage growth? What, what's your you know what's your like your best number one tip for managing growth in a in a uh, shop? You know, I feel like this keys in with what we were originally talking I'll, about. I'll be I'll be straight up with you. I don't know that I'm the best person to answer that question. I, I've I've been I've been in two companies now that have gone through very rapid growth. Uh, you know, Pete, you, you commented on this at the beginning when I was telling you what my, my current company's change is over a five-year period, you know, that, that I, so I guess the question is when you say manage, are we asking, uh, are you looking to control it or are you looking to cope with it? You know, what, what word of manage are we looking for here? You know, well, I'm going to sure. read between the lines and assume that they kind of mean like avoiding growing out of control growth, right? Where you get too big, too quick, and you can't handle the workload you've got. You don't have the staff that you need to mm -hmm. handle that work. Your vendors are letting, you know, falling through the cracks and, and, you know, letting things slide. And we've all been there. I mean, it, you know, being too busy is way worse than not being busy enough, I think. And because that's when you start disappointing employee or customers and when you disappoint customers. I mean, that, that spreads like wildfire and it's hard to stop that once it starts. So I'm assuming that's what both of these are kind of implying is, is so you know, what, what's the secret to managing that, that growth in a, in a way that's scalable without getting out of control too quickly. Great segue. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take charge here. The, the way to manage growth is getting in at the ground level. Very simple. You need to understand what growth means to you, okay? You're not going to go from a $500,000 shop to a $5 million shop overnight or even in a year, okay? So what does growth look like? What are the steps of growth? That's where you're going to start. We're going to start by identifying with, we're here right now. In order to move to our next stage and we identify what that is, there is a pathway to that. Now, most shop owners, most shop owners, I would say, I, I, I don't know exactly a, a, a percentage, but I would say a, a large chunk of them do not even know what growth is. They, they, they do the things. They grow too quickly. They go from doing $1 million and then overnight they're doing $5 million and they don't know how it happened. There was no, there's no thought process to growth. Growth is a stage. There are five or six stages to growth, okay? Uh, in fact, I probably think that we did an episode on this just where we identified the typical stages of growth. And what is that? I mean, you're at a, you're, you, are you an owner right now that's involved in the business? Are you an owner right now that's the designer? Are you the owner right now that's the sign maker and installer? Well, if you are, then... You know, there. If you look at where you are right now, and look at where you end up, where you can end up, it's a business that runs itself, and you just step away from it and manage it. Like there is no active role in it for you. But it doesn't happen like from A to Z. There's a lot of letters and steps in between to get there. So you have to map that out. That's where 
when I when I when I read this question, when I understand like how do you manage growth, you have to actually understand what phase of growth you are in in order to manage it. Does that make sense mm -hmm. to you all? You ultimately you need to know where you're going. I love that. Right? Too. You have you have to have a goal in mind and and oh, and what's yeah, end game? Exactly. Right. Are, are you looking to are, are you looking to grow the what's, business what, and what, sell it? Are you looking to like you like you said, get yourself, you know, maybe you're the installer owner and you want to just you you just want to get yourself out of the bucket. I know a lot of guys have gone through that that process, right? So yeah, what 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 is it what does it take to get there? Okay, well now I, I gotta get another I gotta get another installer, I gotta get, you know, another truck, I gotta you know, this this sort of stuff. And you kind of map your way out of there and then I think I, I think what, what you're trying to say, you need to track where you are on that growth process. And and there's things you can do to pump the brakes along the way if you know where you are. Right? Oh, and I'm gonna just even say, I'm even gonna throw this at you guys. Growth is not measured by dollars. Growth is not measured by how much you're doing in mm -hmm. sales. Whether you're a six million dollar shop that does vinyl and fab, or if you're a if you're doing two million and you're just a wrap shop, growth is not measured in dollars. By the way I measure growth in the businesses that I own. It's I'd rather be a million dollar shop making 20% than a $10 million shop making 5%. Now, if you want to go numbers wise, that's fine, but that's how I would look at it. I would look at it in percentages. I don't care for the gross dollar amount. I would look at percentage numbers and say, what is this where, is this, is this good for me? Is this good for my life? Is this good for my family? But I measure I measure success based off of I guess you could say if I'm going to look at numbers it would be percentage points that's one, and and two I, I look at it from just like life of self fulfillment is are, are are we learning every day, are we being a good team every day, are we educating ourselves becoming better, are we putting out uh, superior work, are we exceeding the customer's expectations. You know, this goes back to my best philosophy here. If I'm if I'm checking those boxes, if I'm constantly educating myself, becoming better in this business on a day by day basis, if I am if I'm exceeding the customer expectation and by putting out superior work and being active in a team friendly environment, there's nothing else that matters. I don't care what your dollars that you're doing. I don't care what your processes are and I don't care what your workflows are. Those are all minor things to improve upon. But if you're achieving those four key components in your business, it doesn't necessarily matter what business you're in. If you're doing those four things, you're achieving success and success is like it runs parallel to growth. If you're successful, you're growing period. Interesting. I love these late night interesting spin. I told you guys we're gonna. I told, I told you guys we're gonna get a very rare version of me this evening. I like it. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. It's easy always just to think about the 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 numbers aspect of it. You know, from a revenue perspective, when we're talking growth, it really is. But you know, having 
you know, to your point about, you know, r- running a $2 million business at 20% margin versus, you know, a, a $10 million business at 5%. You know, I, I'm, I'm seeing that right now firsthand just between the two companies that I've been with. And, and, and you know, I, I, I can tell you that, you know, the low margin, high volume thing, hello burnout, you know. So, you know, growth. Oh, yeah. Growth. Oh, yeah. You're in that, you're in that world of. You're in that world of killing yourself. Yeah. You're you're clawing for every percentage point yeah. when you're doing things like that. You know, two million. I there was once a day being a young new business owner where I'm like, oh, I got to get to my first million. I got to get to my first million, and then after I get to my first million, I'm gonna get to my first two million. And yeah, it doesn't uh, if stop. You're, at all if you <laughs> like it, it's just a trend all that, that all that that means all that that means is one million dollars worth of problems or two million dollars mm-hmm. worth of problems if you're not improving your systems and your workflows inside your you know brian and i we call it an engine okay we call it an engine. you're building uh, i i often say it a lot to my clients you know your biggest asset in your business is something that you can't even see it's something that you can't even touch. It's a, it's a, it's a system. It's an engine that is comprised of many different workflows and, and processes and people and best practices and marketing automations and point of sale systems and, and, and things of that nature that are all in here that make your engine run when you are not behind the seat driving the vehicle. The engine is running when you're not there. That, to me, the measure of success, the ultimate measure of success and growth is when you have this machine running and you're not driving the car. You have no active role in any of the major departments of this business. You're not a designer. You don't lead design. You're not in production. You're not managing. Pro- you're not managing people. You're managing your business. I'd love to be sitting at a desk. This is what success looks like to me in, in terms of the growth scale. I'm sitting at a desk and I'm just watching people perform, and I'm able to coach when I see something that's done incorrectly. System runs. People are doing what they are. They come to work to do, and I'm running my business. Do you know how many sign shop owners do not run their business? Thousands, thousands. To me, growth is when a sign shop owner can sit at a desk, watch everybody do their things flawlessly, and almost like a head coach, when a, when a play is called, watch that play get executed. If that play is executed flawlessly, you're basically a cheerleader for your own business. When the play is done, run incorrectly, you're going to go to that position player and you're going to identify why that was done incorrectly and make sure that the next time that that play is called, he knows or he or she knows what they are going to do the right way. And this is what I call like an engine. It's a system that when if you're looking for as an exit strategy to sell your business one day or to exit out somehow. The, the people that make the most money in selling their business are the ones that you sold your business and you're not the key component to making it run. It runs on its own. I think, or I think that, 
I, I think the, the 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 taking it back again though for a second the the knowing what your end goal is I think is the starting point right because not everybody not not every business owner wants to wants to to sell or 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 even may may not even actually want to step back from things right. There's some people that, that that just trying to look at this from a different angle for a minute. There's some owners out there that that want to be hands on for the rest of their lives. That's that's the the fulfillment that that they get out of it. I mean, I think uh, I'm trying to remember who it was you guys were talking to. It was the the design uh, guy that that does the, the the rebranding and whatever. He still keeps a certain portion of design work that he does himself because that's a portion of the business that he knows he's he's good at that he that he really Dan wants to be engaged in yeah. you know that's his end game okay so he grows the staff and whatever around him to support that that goal but you know so maybe he's not looking to you know sit at his desk and and cheerlead necessarily maybe maybe he wants to be you know a guy you know doing the design work or whatever but so you know maybe he wants maybe for that guy you know it's okay so you know what i want to do this but I want to put myself, I'm going to inject myself into this for a second for a hypothetical. Let's say I, I decided I want, I wanted to start my own business, <laughs> which I don't, but that's another conversation. Let's say I did. My goal would be, all right, you know what? I want to do, I want to do design work <laughs> for the rest of my life. I want to design signs. I want to be Mike. I, I want to be the, uh, the, uh, God dang it. What was it? What, what was the, what was the nickname again? I love it. The Ma- Magic Mike, the Corel Magic King. Mike. All right, so I just the Magic I Mike, be, the Corel King, Magic Mike, the Corel there King, you go. version two point And so, all right, so what does growth look like for me? Okay, so Upgrade. I'm going to need a, I'm going to need a salesperson. I'm going to need, so you know, some way of building this stuff. I'm going to need somebody to handle the accounting for me or whatever, and I'm going to grow towards that. You know that the and so I can just sit back and do my design work and let the rest of the team handle it from there, right? But whatever it is, I, 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 I've got to, I've got to pick, I've got to pick a goal, and I've got to start working toward it, right? So the only thing I would say to that is, if you wanted to own a business and you wanted mm-hmm. to be the designer, you just yeah. bought yourself a yep. job. That's all that you did. You know, men, and 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 then this is not. Sure. There's no right or wrong answer to this, but. The, the answer as to why somebody gets into this business is, I mean, if you ask 10 people, you'd uh-huh. probably get 10 different answers to that question. So there, there really isn't a re there really isn't an argument here. It's just a matter of perspective. If you're going to be a business owner, then own your business. But if you're going to be a business owner because you like the craft and you're a great designer or a great sign maker, you bought yourself a job and there's just no other way around that. You're not, you're not a business owner. If you're an act, if you're, you know what, this is this, I'm going to say this a little differently. You are, there is no way possible that you can be doing everything that a business owner would do. If you Mm -hmm. have a key role in your business, if you are spending time designing eight hours a day, there's not eight hours that you're managing your business, business development, marketing analytics, coaching, leading, training, None of those, none of the aspects are being done, and that's what a business owner does. So, yeah, uh, I have a dozen clients, and they all have different viewpoints on this. There's no right or wrong way, but the only thing that I would say to your point is that if you get into this business, to it's like that technician mindset. You guys read the E Myth method, right? So. Barbers don't necessarily make mm-hmm. good barbershop owners. 
Yep. Because they cut yeah. air well. Right? Beard trimmers don't become beard trimmer owners hey, because I, they I, trim I, beards well. Get careful there. They, there's a reason. <laughs> this is oddly, oddly specific. <laughs> I was go, I was hoping someone's going to pick up on it. No, like it's that technician mindset. So you know, you could be a great technician. That doesn't necessarily mean you should be an owner, right? You don't possess right. the ownership mindset. So there's a lot of things to that that I no, that I don't want to bore you all with, but. This essentially growth growth needs to be managed, and it do, and it's managed by knowing what stages you're in, and identifying. But first, identifying those stages for yourself. What is your own vision? Put it together. You start here. This is where you are right now. Where what is where do I want to be ten years from now? Okay, and then what are the steps in between to get there? So that's that to me is you have to understand what steps are and then you can manage them your own way. Yeah, I, I don't. The mic is attached to drop a boom, yeah. so I couldn't like drop go. it. Yeah, so I'm yeah, just yeah, pushing yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. It's yeah. all good. Good stuff. <laughs> Mike, do you have any rebuttals? Any other thoughts on this topic before we close out the happy hour session? No, I agree with both Jeff and Peter. I think that technically Peter is is right to an extent. You know, if you're going to be a business owner, then there's certain things you have to do as part of being a business owner. And but I think Jeff's right also that it depends on what you know what your goals are and how you define that success and what you want out of your career and why you're starting that business in the first place. And not everybody starts a business because they want an exit, you know, an exit plan from that business. Some people are the technicians and they just like making cool shit. Like we've talked about a million times. And, and those people are definitely going to have different goals than the person who wants to cash out in five years or 10 years and is trying to build an asset. Regardless, neither one of those things is right or wrong. It just depends on what you want. So you have to, you know, you've got to clearly define that before you can, mm-hmm control that growth. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're both right. You have to have a plan to, you know, to achieve that goal. And if the plan is good, then the growth will kind of, you know, kind of fall in line with it. I mean, there's a million, itself out. right. I mean, there's a million tips we could give you on how to control the growth. The reality is, I mean, it doesn't matter if you don't have a plan, you know, to get to, from point A to point B. And, you know, that's, I think that's the hardest part is defining that plan and really defining what you want. For me, I mean, it, I mean, I'm, I'm a hundred percent a technician, right? Like I, I, and it took me a long time to understand that. And I, I think I'm, I feel like I'm lucky that I was able to build a, you know, a successful business and sell it and walk away from it and, and had processes and procedures and staff in place that, that allowed that business to operate without my, you know, my hands and, you know, pulling the strings. Um, but in, in hindsight, the reality is like, I hated the business side of it. Like it just wasn't me. I enjoyed making cool shit all day long. And Mm-hmm. and that's okay i mean you just have to you have to understand that you've got to really dig deep and look introspectively and understand what it is that you want out of this because ultimately like it's your business it's your career it's your it's your life path whatever you want is okay you just have to be honest with yourself and define that before you go any further and and i a lot of those you know remaining pieces of the puzzle will fall into place once you do if you don't define it like i didn't really define it. Like I, I wanted to believe that I was a business owner. Like I wanted to believe that, that was, 
that was the mindset that I, I fell into. And, and that was, that was who I was with the business owner. And I faked it for a long time and I, and I came out the other end successful, but it wasn't me. And I think if I, if I was more honest with myself, with what I truly wanted and not what I felt like I was supposed to be, and that's a technician and not the business owner mindset, I think, I think I would have built a more successful business that I enjoyed running more. Maybe that business wouldn't have been as profitable or as worth as much, you know, as on resale, but I might not have wanted to sell it had I built something that was really more in line with what I wanted. So, you know, I think that's, I think that that first step is the most critical part of that conversation is, yep. is you Can know, we get this guy some Chardonnay on every podcast? Like, do I, I love when you I'm like okay talk about that. this, yeah. man. <laughs> like, Hey, yeah, hey, like hey, I've got one I, in the archive. Well, in the to do list is like Mike's selling his business story that I want to do. I feel like we definitely need some Chardonnay for that. But yeah, there's not. I, I, I couldn't. Good world, man. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have said that one any better myself. Of like, you know, you've got to know what your strengths and weaknesses are and what you want out of it. Like ultimately, yeah. Yeah, right. And, and like that informs everything else. It take my take my current business right now, right? Like the business my my sign design business right now is literally worth nothing. Like it's not even worth one penny on paper. There's nobody's ever going to buy this business. It's not it's not an asset that I can sell. It, it, as Peter said, it's a job. I've got a job. I've I've created a business that is nothing more than a job for me. But this business right now that I'm doing gives me so much more happiness and fulfillment at the end of the day than having a sign shop full of, you know, full of employees that were building signs for me because I wasn't making those signs. I was managing them. I was, I was dealing with employees and their problems and their drama and vendors and customers. And I, I never got my hands dirty, you know, the last few years of my shop ownership. So for me, my business, even though it's a job and not a true business that's sellable in five years or 10 years, that's my definition of success. I design cool shit all day long for fantastic customers that I, you know, I, I, mm -hmm. I love dearly. And I might not ever be building an asset that I can sell and I can retire off of. And I might be doing this until the day I die at 90 years old, but it's cool. And I, that's my, that's, that's, that's what success is to me. So for me, Controlling growth is as is, is, is simple as, now nah, I don't want to work for you. Now nah, I don't want to take on that job because that doesn't look like fun. Now nah, I'm going to be out of town for the next two weeks, so I'll get to you when I get back. I mean, that's that's controlling growth for the technician, right? It's totally different than controlling growth for the business owner. Neither is right or wrong, but you got to decide what you want. So, so here's an interesting thought, though. I'll, I I want to I want to get your opinion on this. If we can for a moment, for some of our listeners out there that are looking for more of a different type of answer, like growth comes in many different phases. So we've talked about like identifying what those phases are, but there's a lot of different things that happen in a sign shops or a rap shops world, right? Like when should you hire that salesperson? When should you hire another, your second designer on your team? When is it appropriate to buy that piece of equipment that's uh, maybe getting us from a vinyl shop to a fab shop? And what is that piece of equipment? How much should you spend? 
You know, like they're there. Those are different types of growth questions. Business, we kind of kind of beat the drum on the business growth side of things, but business growth looks at numbers and percentages and the why. This is more tangible. So what do you guys think of that? Like pick anyone, pick people, pick equipment. When would you say is an appropriate time to grow into making those types of investments? I mean, are we talking about going to things like doing like cost benefit analysis type dive in? Is that the kind of thing you want you want to get into on 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 the podcast? Because I don't feel like most of the sign shop owners and smaller shops and and that sort of stuff are gonna want to want to dive deep into the weeds on that. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed, but they definitely should. Agreed. The majority of them look at a, the, go to ISA and say, you know, I, I asked all of my clients the same question on this week's, on our, this week's calls. Mm-hmm. I said, how is ISA and what did you come home with? You know, did you buy a fancy piece of equipment? Did you buy a new fancy tool? And I remember a day, I remember, a day, I remember my first CNC machine and I was like, mm-hmm. we're going to take this business to the stratosphere. You know, and you, you just start your creative genes just like they just bud at, at instantly. Like, what can I build? Can I, I could get into furniture. I can get into cabinet mm-hmm. building. I could do almost anything with this damn machine. <laughs> right. And it starts. Okay. Do I want to get into that vertical? Do I, <clears throat> I have one customer right now, one client who's getting into casket wrapping. Okay. <laughs> Dude, do not knock it. Do not knock it. I think it's a freaking. It. I think it's a phenomenal idea, right? But here's but at some point that is something new for someone else to grow their business. So at what? So the question is: is like, I, I, I'm not. I don't want to harp on one specific one. Pick one, and tell and talk about it. Like, is it equipment? Like, when should you buy that next piece of equipment? How should you buy it, Brian? What about you? You you kind of I think I have an idea of how you would answer this when it comes I to even growth. Buy the equipment, dude. Like, I'll stop that. it. <laughs> yeah, I'll stop it. it. I, so, like, looking back at me, like, I identify with both sides of this. Like, Mike talks about the technician. Like, you're talking about the business owner. Like, I sit like firmly just in the middle there of like, I, I've got like the push and pull happening on all levels. So, like, the first CNC router we got, like, I routed a movable table desk thing for the computer that was on the CNC router. Like, I'm totally that guy of, <laughs> like, hey, let me figure out how this works and let me, like, build some cool shit out of it. Uh, but I also went to school for business and I like making money. So, for me, it's it's like a total push and pull. And... I, I, I think it, it's like, it, for me, it all goes back to individually, like what you want out of it. Like I, I live that life. Like, like we're doing this now, like, I, like being in a sign shop, like, and, and even when I was at my previous company, I think that's how we're doing this, right? Mm-hmm. We're not naming names. We're just saying previous companies. My favorite part of the job was talking shop with business, like shop owners that, knew exactly like the day-to-day grind of what the 60-hour work weeks were and commiserating in that, but also like, hey, let's 
let's talk and like compare notes type of thing. And, you know, lo and behold, it took like seven, 10 years. That's, we do this all the time now. I don't I, I, that's a shitty answer, well, I think, but um, <laughs> it, it really, it really is. It really was a shitty answer. Don't, don't buy the equipment. Like, are you like, when are you going to buy the equipment? Um, are you outsourcing that particular stuff that you're going to buy this equipment for now? I hope so. If you don't have the work, don't buy the equipment. That's yeah. I, I, I think, I think my answer is always on that one. Let your, 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 your sales trends, what you're selling is going to point you in a direction of what the things are, where you need to, where you need to build. If you start building up, you know, backlog that you can't keep up with, then that's when you start looking at, okay, all right, uh, you got two options, outsource or, or, or do it yourself. Right. And if, if outsourcing is not an option, you want to control it, then that's when you're starting looking at, at your, at your, uh, whether that's a hire or that's a piece of equipment or a bigger building or any of that stuff, it's all driven by, you know, the sales that you're getting are going to tell you what, what you need to do ultimately. I'm going to, I'm going to come back and say, like, if you want it, you can afford it, buy it. Like it goes back, like go, it goes back to the technician mindset. Like, Hey, if, if you like having those toys, certainly like if that gives you fulfillment, do it. Like I'll give you a specific example. Like when we started doing the podcast, we did one episode where we talked about outsourcing pretty hardcore. And then like two episodes later, we talked about, I, it could have been growth and like buying equipment. And I had a gentleman email me and he picked out like one sentence from something that Mike said. And he said, if you're going to buy a flatbed printer, you have to buy a cutter. And then he based his whole, I, I, I don't know if he based his whole financial decision on that, but that was what he was using as the justification for his purchase was like, like these guys said, if I buy a flatbed printer, I have to have the cutter. And it, to me, it was just like, okay, like he made up his mind that he wanted this previously. And now like we're looking for some way to rationalize that decision. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you can do all the cost benefit analysis and analyses you can come up with and ROI analyses and the whole nine yards and probably put a number on, on where that break even point is where, okay, I'm outsourcing X amount of dollars of this. But I, I mean, I think there's a, there's a gut instinct that comes into play with that as well. A little bit that I don't think anybody really wants to admit is there, but you know, you know, if I have this piece of equipment, I'm going to, be able to expand into a few more markets and I'm going to land this customer and this customer. And, you know, right now I can't get into this market because I'm outsourcing this, but like, like for me, like when I bought my first flatbed, it was because I was outsourcing more in a year than what it would cost me to buy a flatbed printer and have it in house. Right. And that's all I thought about. Like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. I, I spent 150 grand with science 365 this year yeah, it's time to buy a flatbed and do this analysis. But yeah, like Brian said, like, you know, flatbed, there's a cutter, there's a you know person to operate it. The thing I didn't take into consideration is the thing runs so damn fast that it really, it almost takes two people. It, you know, it, it requires more staff than what I had before. So there's a lot to it that you can't really even begin to predict. I mean, I think, I don't know. It's a bad answer. It's a shitty answer like Brian gave. 
I think like you gotta trust your gut too. And, like, is it is it yeah, the yeah. hour of the day uh, or is it just I, shitty I, I love answers? the thought of ending a podcast <laughs> totally. with just yeah, really shitty both. answers to a question there. I just that's <laughs> Come back for our next episode and and, and hear more sage advice like this. I, Take out a second mortgage on your house and buy a flatbed printer tomorrow. What we're going to do it's with this one, we're going to break it into two parts and like it'll be cut like exactly halfway between. It'll be like an episode of Batman where it's like, come back next week. And then boom, that's it. Part one, Brian and Michael are, are sober and part two, Brian and Mike are blasted. Did we answer that question at all? Like, uh, I, I, that I person is going to go out of business next week because of our advice, I feel like. We've really let that person down. I We we got started on the philosophical aspect, and I like I, I just can't let it go at this point in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I've had like eight meetings before this one. Hey, I, 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 I did, did a therapy a session thing. before this I did call, dance so class. I'll, I'll see that and, and raise you. <laughs> there we go. Man. See, I just came back from vacation, so I'm still on like island time. I feel like that's yeah. a shitty excuse compared to you two. Oh. It's, a, like it's it. a good excuse. I mean, Pete, what's your excuse? His, his wife's in the other room uh, waiting to celebrate birthday. her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and he's throwing he's, shit he's, at him. He's still sitting there. My wife is now in bed, gentlemen. I've spent <laughs> nearly two hours with you I'm folks. Sorry. My wife's in bed. I it's think you fun. said that wrong. He probably I was going to say fucks. that's not how you pronounce not that word. Folks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Peter. Yeah, it is what it is. I love talking with you guys. But, you love us. But I am going to jump. So this was good catching up with y'all. And um, I had a good time. This was a good good episode. I hope we our listeners learned a little bit something. And Jeff, always great yeah. seeing you, man. Thank you so much for jumping on here. Yeah, with thanks us. for having me. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Pete, tell your wife I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what, exactly what she's going to say to you when you crawl into bed. Hey, babe, I'm finally uh-huh. done. Mm-hmm. That's probably accurate. Very, that is very, very accurate. I it, Look, I, I only say it because I'm going to get the same thing when I crawl back. <laughs> yeah, she's going to say, uh, who's the f***ing schmuck? That decided that eight fifteen to ten fifteen is going to be a good idea. Dude, when you have a chance <laughs> with the signed Viking, all right, you take it. Sorry, Peter. I, I, yeah. I owe you an apology. I, yeah. you know, tell tell your wife to sign Viking. Says uh, he's sorry. At... I'm sure that'll go a long way for you. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, shall we? Is he, do we bring? Do we? We ruin the marriage. Do we have rapid fire takeaways for the? I mean, it's like. Two hours in, almost. I I love that these always go long, and that we're always like, eh, just one more, just one more. And then that was that was forty five minutes ago that Mike said just one more, just to put it in context for the listeners, if they are still listening. I, honestly, like if our listeners hang in there with us, like God, this is going to have to be a two parter. I think. I, I don't yeah. know. Like I I feel like this is an interesting, you know, like sober to. A bottle of wine in, you know, case study. <laughs> I think we should do more of these. I'm definitely jealous with you on that front, Mike. I, I will say I'm 100% jealous with you on that front. I, sh- I should have brought the bottle of scotch when I had the window. Yeah, we got to do a uh, happy hour more often. This is fun. I do like this format, For sure. yeah. Next time we'll yeah. actually have more people drinking, but. Yeah, Peter didn't like it. 
So Brissa, I see. A, yeah, I think that was more just. A, I think that was just more of a. Timing that was a thing. circumstance. Like, I, yeah. All right, so. <laughs> rapid fire take. Do we have any rapid fire take? Rapid fire. We got to stick to it, even though, like, I feel like we've already given all the takeaways. Uh, Mike, I, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you. Oh, one. Okay. All right. The uh, side Viking. Jeff. Je- yeah, Jeff. Jeff, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, I think I think the big one for me is you know. No, if if you're an owner or manager or whoever you are in this industry, know what you want out of it, and work towards that. Just just keep that goal in mind, no matter what you're doing. If you're a technician, if you're an owner, if you're a manager, if you're a project manager, if you're a sign installer, whatever it is, you got a job. You're you're in a you're in a really interesting and diverse industry. You know, we, we, we really do something kind of special. I don't think you guys have focused on that a little bit in the, in the last few casts that I've listened to. And, and, and I just want to echo that, you know, we, it's, there's a reason we all stick in it the way we do. You know, it's, it's a very, very special opportunity to do what we do and figure out what it is specifically that you want to do in that and contribute to that and just go for that. However you get there, it's a path, it's a journey. But keep the keep the goal in mind, and you know, just work towards that every day. I'm going to jump right on that yeah. and say the exact same thing. Rapid fire takeaways. Now, I was talking with a guy that I was hoping to maybe get on the podcast uh, earlier this week, and he is like doing a, a lot of boutique type stuff. Um, and he like his mentor has been this 80 year old guy that like still bending neon has owns a successful sign shop but he is still bending neon and like he's like the gentleman i was talking to asked like hey when are you going to retire and he's like like why would i retire this is this is what i love doing so you know there's different strokes for different folks to like i feel like we have to have like the pop culture references but um What you're talking about, Will? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it. again. That is like the biggest takeaway from this one. Like, know what you want out of this. Pursue that. And Mike, like, uh, well, my biggest takeaway is every podcast. Mike needs to drink a bottle of wine first, <laughs> or during, <laughs> or during. I I can do that. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. I, don't, I consider it. <laughs> I the, like the good news is I don't think that it will result in a workers' comp claim for me because it technically none of you like we're all independent contractors here. But I I don't know I don't know if that's a good. It's guaranteed to result in like a a, a, a real cease and desist letter at some point though. I I mean just be forewarned. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be, that'll um, be how the no, do I'm a gonna... podcast episode. <laughs> like, just drink a bottle of wine, start recording conversations with your friends. Be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure that's, I think that's how most podcasts are put together, actually, to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to agree with both of you guys. Um, I, I think all the topics that we discussed today, I think that's kind of a common thread between them is, is define what you want and, you know, come up with a plan to get there. Um, I, and, don't let anybody, don't let Peter or anybody else tell you. Oh, that it's, it's easy not to say okay that when he's not here. It is. That's why I said it. Um, 
Now, it's okay not to be the business owner mindset. It's okay to be a technician. And that's, that is something that I struggled with a lot for a long time. Um, you know, hustle porn and, you know, you work 24 seven and it, that is a mentality that's pervasive, I think, in the business owner community and, 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 and it's really unhealthy and it's, it's not necessarily what everybody wants and what everybody becomes a business owner for. And I, I would, I would bet money that probably everybody listening to this has fallen victim to that at one point in time or another. And some people that's what they're put on this earth to do. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But the rest of us, we are technicians and we, we get the fulfillment out of making the cool shit and not running the business and that's okay. And society and that whole hustle, hustle porn culture wants to tell you that that's not okay. And that's bullshit. It's totally fine to be, a technician who wants to make cool shit all day long, every day. Some of the most successful people that I know are technicians. I know a guy works by himself, has one bucket truck. He just is a installer for other sign companies. He just is a, you know, gal installer channel or something. Dude makes 300 grand a year, has a house in Florida, is happier than a pig in shit. And he's, he is, there, you'll never find anybody who, who fits the mold of a technician more than this guy. Um, and he's probably making more money than all of us <laughs> and he's happier than all of us. So mm-hmm. if that's what you want, that's fine. And uh, that's, I think that's my biggest takeaway is just figure out what it is that you really want. You want not what society tells you you want, not what the business community tells you you want or your networking group or whatever, what you want and, and then formulate a plan to achieve that and, and stick to that plan and, and you'll get there. I mean, I think everybody who, who has, has done that and, and, realize that plan um, will tell you that the grass is greener, you know, over here. I, I definitely can tell you that I've been on both sides of that fence and I love my life and I didn't love it before when I was trying to become a business owner. So who is this guy? Figure it out. What the, who is this? <laughs> I'll, send, I'll, I'll, I'll send everybody. A bill. You're supposed to be he's, like the crusty magic, one. He's, yeah. Magic. He Mike. is magic. Mike, the, the Corel King. <laughs> If the, this sign shop owner whisper, where do you get me started on talking about Corel Draw? Oh, you know? That's a that's a nasty episode in and of itself. All right, uh, we we definitely need to get the Shermanator back on. That uh, one yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh I, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk some on that. Well, uh, Jeff, before I launch into the crazy spiel at the end that I always forget. Yeah, pleasure to have you, man. Always fun to oh. catch up. I'm glad that we decided to start recording these. Yeah. Hopefully there's some nuggets of wisdom wisdom for everybody. Wisdom. I I hope you're able to turn this into something useful or usable. That's the word. There it is. He's not even been drinking. Good luck wrangling that sentence into something in the podcast. (laughs) And I have been drinking. I am sober. (laughs) (laughs) No. I think this is our best episode ever, honestly. Like, this is a great format. I think we should do this again. And I, I really hope that Jeff comes back on a regular basis because this is a lot of fun. Jeff, thank you so much. I mean, you know that we love you like a brother, and you're always welcome here. So, this really recording is going to be done in like 15 minutes. I'm going to send it to you at like 3 a.m. so you can listen to it in the morning and let me know what you think. <laughs> this is the new format for the podcast. <laughs> no okay all right Thanks, maybe not <laughs> no this is a, a great format good time all right I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this one home um all right 
if you are looking for a new partner for large format and wide format and super wide format and ultra wide format, call our friend TJ at GCI Digital. They will take care of you. They do customer service just the way that mother used to make it. And we had them on the podcast uh, like nine, 10 episodes ago. Go back and listen to it. You can get a feel for how they do business. It is very much a old school way to do business in a increasingly modern age. How was that? That was solid. Yeah. 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 I like yeah. It. TJ rocks. Yeah. Yeah. He's old school. Check out that rusty bus. Hmm. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I'll, I'll, I I'll tease something here. I think we've got something in the works that should be really interesting soon ish with TJ. Maybe just to encourage him a little bit as well, but nevertheless, uh, if you are interested in being a guest, you know, somebody who should be a guest on the podcast, make sure you reach out to us. It is Hey at better shop.com. Uh, we stopped putting that email address on the YouTube episodes and the Spotify episodes because we got a lot of spam. Um, but if you're a real person, send us an email. That's it. That's it. All right, guys. All right. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes and check out our website, bettersignshop.com. Get free resources and helpful tools on growing your shop. Thanks for listening.